is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 519, recorded on Tuesday, March the 16th, 2021. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the program. Jason, what is new with you this week, my good man? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Time change? That's about it. Oh, yeah, that's right. The time changed. We lost an hour on the weekend. That sucks for everybody. We'll find it. We'll find it again. Uh, I'm going to keep looking, but, uh, you know, typically I... Find it in about six months. Yeah, about six front months months from now, you'll 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 find it again, and everything will be okay, and you can go back to normal. Yeah, and I was born in February, so this is not normal, right? The other time is normal. This is abnormal. So things are going to be buggered up. I might my clock is going to be off for six months, and then it'll go back to normal. Well, you know, they call this daylight time, whereas before it was standard time, and standard sounds more normal to me. It does, right? This whole daylight savings bullshit. <laughs> dumb dumb i tell you i'm of two minds about it i agree that it's dumb but i also kind of like it in other ways you know living in the northern hemisphere this far up we we sort of need it it's nice to be lighter later it, it's only an hour but it kills people i people know get their sleeps get all buggered up and they end up getting in a car accident people die because of this bullshit we save a Farmers lot of energy, don't care though. anymore yeah <laughs> right is it worth it is it worth it i guess I not know. Anyways, I'm, I'm anti uh, time change in case it's uh, hard to tell. Well, tell me, would you rather stay on daylight time all year round or standard time all year round? I don't even give a little shit. I don't care at all. Really, eh? You don't like I it? I really don't. You don't like it when it's it lighter later in the evening? It makes no difference to me whatsoever. Because you never it leave your basement. Be, it, well, no, it's not that. It's just that I just don't care. Okay. I just don't care. The sun goes up, sun goes down. I don't care what time it is. <laughs> when that happens, when I want to know what time it is, I don't care what time, what, when the sun goes up and goes down. I, the, the two don't correlate to me. I just don't care. Interesting. Oh, well, I think a lot of people feel the way you do, but here we are back on daylight time. So it'll be, uh, light until, I don't know, eight o'clock now or something like that. It's great. Anyhow, we're not here to talk about the, uh, time change for too long. It's already been too long, I think. We are here to talk about the latest episode of The Walking Dead. But first, Jason, I want to send out some congratulations. Oh, cool. I would like to congratulate Stephen Yun on being nominated for an Oscar. An Oscar? Yeah. So Stephen, of course, played Glenn on The Walking Dead. He hasn't been on the show for a while, but he was recently in a movie called Minari and he has been nominated for the uh, actor, best actor in a leading role for his pro- for his work in that film. He is the first Asian America Asian American nominated in that category of all time. Isn't it a little early or late for uh, Academy Award nominations? Uh, no, the Oscars or did this happened a while ago. No, it happened just this week. The Oscars are later than usual this year. Normally, they're at the end of February. Oh, they didn't happen. <laughs> they haven't happened yet. No, he was nominated uh, this week and then they, I don't know when the actual ceremony is, but maybe it's later this month or, month or in April. God, I can't talk shit. tonight. <laughs> That's a critical piece of information that I did not know about. Okay. Well, Stephen Young. I wasn't paying attention, I guess. Well, fantastic. That's great. I'm going to endeavor to watch that movie now. 
Well, yeah, I think I'd like to, I haven't seen the movie either, but I'm just excited for the guy. You know, I really want him to take this. Now, he's up against the following characters, Riz Ahmed in The Sound of Metal, Chaswick Bozeman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, and Gary Oldman in Mank, or as my kids like to call him, Gary Oldman. Uh, Gary Oldman? Yeah, so, you know, those are some good actors in there. But I'm That's some serious competition. Yeah. I'm pulling for Stephen Young, though. I want to see him take this. I think that would be fantastic. And and God, win an Oscar. How's that for a boost to your career, I bet, eh? Yeah. And tell your kids that uh, Gary Oldman is younger than Gary Newman. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I'm going to tell them. That's great. Yeah, look it up. It's true. I think they're close. It's close, but uh, Gary, Gary Oldman is younger. Well, they know him from the Harry Potter films, and every time they see his name... In the credits at the end of the movie, they giggle and say, Gary, old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should uh, get them to watch True Romance. Maybe someday. He's really good in that. Maybe someday. Okay. Well, congrats, Stephen Yun. I hope you take the Oscar. That would be amazing. Oh, and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Okay. I'll add a classic. Good. It, you can't find it anywhere, but Dan, that was a good movie. Yeah. Good movie. All right, before we get into this week's episode, I also want to take a look at the ratings. Last week's episode called Find Me had 2.26 million viewers, which is down a little bit from the week before. And in fact, we already have the ratings for this episode. Um, it, this week's episode, it got 2.17. So also down, just <laughs> the numbers keep going down. It'll be really, really interesting if these dip below. 2 million soon, Jason. I, I don't want that to happen, but it seems like that's the trend. It is the trend. And it, I think it's expectations. I think that we have to realign our expectations. These three episodes, spoiler alert on this episode, but, uh, they've been all lower key, right? With, uh, you know, long periods of quiet conversations in the dark. They have indeed. They have indeed. Um, but it's the trend we've been seeing for a long time. It's just viewership is going down. And again, I sometimes struggle with the relevance to these numbers so much because the number I quote is strictly what they gather from the 9 p.m. Sunday night viewing. There's a yeah. lot of other eyeballs watching this show in other ways, right? So there's other factors that we're not taking into account here. But as a as a whole, you compare apples to apples. So we've been looking at these numbers the whole time, and they've been going down. Yeah, they should release the uh, you know the Apple TV numbers, right? iTunes, because that's how I get it, right? I mm-hmm. download it every week on iTunes, and I watch it. I am absolutely sure that Apple tracks those numbers very very closely. I'm sure they uh, do. So yeah, th- they should release them to us. Let us know how many people have. Uh, watched the episode, actually watched the episode, not estimated based on, uh, you know, a sample viewership, but actual known eyeballs on the show. It would be, it would be interesting. You have to factor in AMC plus now as well. And the fact that it comes out early on AMC plus has got to be enticing for some people to sign up for that just to watch it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I would sign up if it was available to me here in Canada, but um, yeah. So I, I just think as long as we kind of stick to the same, uh, criteria for what we look at in these, uh, in these ratings, we're, we're okay, but I'm sure the numbers are declining across the board. It's just the way it is. 
Yeah. Still pretty popular show though, compared to most. I'm sure. And I just, I feel bad that we're not getting the full picture at this at this moment. I hear you. We don't know the true numbers. We only know what, you know, this one stream uh, and these one values. But if, yeah, I think you may be right that if it's going down in that stream, it's probably the ratings are going down in each of the uh, the ways people can watch. You know, what'll be fascinating actually is come season 11 being the final season. If if there's any sort of rebound or if or if anything changes really if it's just going to keep going down or or if season 11 will bring back some of the people who are like oh yeah the walking dead it's ending ah oh, maybe i should tune in and check it out i don't know we'll we'll see i i'd be interested to find out or i will be interested to find out what happens when people start to realize that it's the final season next year yeah if that factors in at all i mean there's not? just the idea of appointment television is so 10 years ago, uh, you know, even though it's the final season, it's just like, yeah, I'll catch that when it's on, uh, when it's on Netflix. Yeah. Fair enough. When it comes out on various platforms a year later. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, let's get into it then. This is the walking dead season 10 episode 19. One more. Me thinks me wants one more. One more. Thank you to Clive and Kettering England. Happy Jack in Victoria, BC, and Tony for those title reads. Uh, awesome. I, I was fascinated by how they all s- sort of said the title in a similar way. It was, yeah. it seemed to just, that's what it brought out in people, that one more type read. Mm, very buttery. <laughs> very, very much. Uh, all right. So episode 19, one more. We open this episode with a shot of some flowers. And then we see Aaron and Father Gabe surrounded by zombies. They start to fight them off, but uh, the flowers really take the worst of it. Because as we hear all the zombie chopping noises and head crushing blows, we just see blood splattering across the flowers. And that poor grasshopper. Well, Michael in London writes, holy crap, that poor grasshopper was there minding his or her own business and then wallop. They end up having to reenact the pig's blood scene from Carrie. <laughs> Poor thing. What do they do afterwards? Did they hose it down? Do you think it, it was a real grasshopper? It moved. I know it did move. I'm pretty sure. Let me, let's let's check the tape. We'll put it this way. I, I went back to look at the grasshopper after reading Michael's holy crap moment, and I paused it right on the grasshopper. It looks pretty real to me. So I think it might have been a real grasshopper that got a little... Uh, Fake blood on it. I mean, it's only a grasshopper. Like, really, who gives a shit? Uh, it's not. It's not like it's an animal or anything. It's an insect, right? But still, still. you can't really. No, it's a real grasshopper. It uh, it moves its legs and is about to jump before uh, it gets splattered with blood. The blood splatter might be fake, right? Oh, my, as in an effect, yeah. As in as in an effect where. Like it's a real grasshopper jumping off a uh, a flower, but the blood splatter is fake. Okay, there it is. We nailed it. They wouldn't hurt a grasshopper and show it on TV. No, I wouldn't want them to either. That's that's not cool. I like grasshoppers. I like grasshoppers too, but yeah, okay, okay, it, I'm good now. It's weird with with bugs like that because it's it all it's all about the stigma or something. Because good God, I would never hold a big spider in my hand, but I pick up grasshoppers all the time. No big deal. I've seen you pick up the world's largest toad. 
I wouldn't touch that toad. You were at your, we were at your grandfather's cottage in 2005 building a trebuchet and we went to the store in a boat. And as soon as we got to the shore, these kids were looking at something on the shore and it was the world's biggest frog that I'd ever seen in my whole life. The first thing you do is pick it up and say, Hey, look at this frog. I wouldn't have touched that frog. That's funny. Why? What's wrong with frogs? There's nothing wrong with frogs. You can touch frogs. Yeah, I know. Uh, From a, certain point of view it's no problem but still squishy gross slimy frog i wouldn't pick that up huh funny well i wouldn't touch a giant spider or many other huge bugs but no problem with grasshoppers and frogs and then we ran across those vultures in the cave yeah i didn't touch those no we didn't touch those they just hissed at us those were scary we had a good time that year didn't we (laughs) it was a good year (laughs) it sure was i'm sure there's a whole well there is a whole series of video podcasts about that if you can find yeah. them, but they're out there. Yeah, and and we look like babies. Well, you know, we were. It was 2005, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, after Gabe and Aaron fight these zombies, they continue on and investigate the remains of a burned out house. As they enter, which I is a term I use loosely because there's not really much left of the place, uh, Gabe looks at a map he's holding that says unsearched structures possible food sources. So I guess that's what they're out there doing. They're just going to various locations looking for any food that they can find. In this burned out house, they come across the rather heartbreaking remains of two adults and a child who clearly burned to death in each other's arms. It's pretty horrific. And some flowers have either been placed on them or are growing up around them. So a couple things in this, this is going to get a bit nitpicky. Uh, the house was still smoldering. Uh, you know, you could see wisps of the smoke still kind of lingering in the air. But the house was in the middle of a field with no indication that there was any kind of yard or uh, walking path or anything around it at all. So it was a bit odd that this house was just in this kind of grass field. Uh well, the second thing was that there was it was a recent fire, which was kind of odd, and the the skeletal remains of the of the family. Now, I'm I tend to be uh, I tend tend to take the endangerment or you know death of children rather personally at the moment, mm-hmm. and usually I would find this kind of thing very very disturbing. But the skull the skull of the child uh, only had one set of teeth. Have you ever seen a, a, a an x-ray of uh, a, somebody who still has their baby teeth and they're still haven't gotten their, their adult teeth? It's kind of horrific, yeah. It's a fucking horror show. Right. So <laughs> uh, a skull of a real child of that age would not look like that. So my brain could easily go fake and move on. So that was nice for me. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, look, I, look I, at I, that. You're really paying attention to the details there because I didn't notice that at all. Yeah, I, I found that rather, uh, well, not comforting, but uh, I was easily able to dismiss the, the horror of this, which I would normally find incredibly personal. Sure. Well, Natalie in Detroit picked up on something. She said, holy crap, after years of Jason saying they won't show a dead baby on The Walking Dead, Angela Kang proved him wrong in the most tragic way. The thing is, that didn't look like a baby to me. It was more of a child, you know, a young yeah. young kid. Six, six, five or six. It, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. It didn't feel like a baby in any way. Like baby, baby is 
something they still haven't really done. But uh, I didn't notice the teeth thing. I just saw the three of them there and was like, oh, that's pretty sad. Yeah. It, well, it is sad. And somebody placed flowers on there. They were obviously placed. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure, but maybe they were. And I also didn't really pay attention to the fact that the building was still smoldering. Like, <laughs> that seems like a dumb thing to do, to have that fire be portrayed as that recent. I don't know. It's, yeah. Seems weird. This map is fun, though. I'm, uh, I've got theories about the map. You do? All right. Well, any you want to bring forth right now, or should I continue? Uh- not yet. We'll we'll get there. All right. Fair fair enough. The two guys move on. They find a zombie leaning against a post. They throw a rock at it, and it gets up, but leaves most of its back still stuck to the post. <laughs> Super gross. This is uh, this whole scene uh, really is a rare depiction of lurkers. Mm-hmm. Right. We we get roamers a lot, but we very rarely get lurkers in this show. Uh, nowadays. So this was nice to see. Yeah, exactly. Zombies that just sit there and do nothing until they're stimulated by something, which is exactly what happens. So Gabe pulls out a kitchen timer and sets it for a few seconds, then throws it into some long grass. Once it starts ringing, a bunch of zombies stand up out of the grass that were lurking in there and they're attracted to this ringing sound so that uh, they're distracted Gabe and Aaron move towards the alarm, sort of slowly entering the grass behind all the zombies. So it takes their attention off of them. Yeah. It's a different kind of take on the time bomb. Basically it's what it is. Time bomb. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's good. The only thing about that is, I don't know. It's, they, and they, this has been the case for a long time, but I, they sort of play fast and loose with what distracts zombies. You know, in this case, it's, the ringing of like a kitchen timer in the grass when you have two living, I assume kind of alive smelling humans standing right there, but all the zombies go towards the sound, you know, whereas some other time zombies might be less attracted to sound, I think, but it worked for them in this case. Well, it's a matter of what they pay attention to first. I think. Oh, maybe. Uh, you know, if it if the first thing they see is uh, humans walking around, or first thing they smell, they're going to gravitate towards that, and other small things are not going to distract them. Uh, whereas in this case, the first thing they heard from lurking around, not getting any input whatsoever, uh, is this this ringing. So they're paying attention to the ringing and ignoring uh, the other the other thing. Yeah, I guess it's whatever starts first. You know, within reason, right? Like. Uh, a, you know, somebody smelling like a human, uh, is one thing. And then if a bomb goes off, they're going to go, Whoa, there's a bomb going off. I better go pay attention to that now. You know, it's a matter of degrees. So they're being quiet and and walking behind them. Yeah. And I, I assume that dead people are not very attentive to their surroundings. Sure. It's really got to be, uh, a significant event to get through to the part of the brain that's still functioning. I guess so. So they were following the sound. That's all right. And that's assuming that, uh, this is something we haven't talked about before, but it's been years, right? And these zombies are decaying, uh, over the years. Uh, is it weird that their eyeballs or their ears don't rot to the point where they don't work anymore? It's maybe a little bit weird. I mean, they, they do continue to rot. The zombies are rottier and more 
decayed than they ever have been, right? It's it's same with that one against the post, how half of his back stuck to the post when he got up. Yeah, but it seems in general, no matter how decayed a zombie gets, their eyes are fine. And their ears still work. Yeah, does seem Is like that. Is that weird? <laughs> it's a little weird. I think it's a little weird. I think maybe we shouldn't think about it too much. Shouldn't rodents, don't rodents go after eyes a lot? Oh, I don't know. But yeah, I've, that's a thing I've seen, like rats going and eating the eyes out of a out of a body. I mean, I haven't seen that, but it's. I feel like it's something <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've watched that. I've seen that in my backyard. Sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Over the course of a few days. Gross. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, it's just something that just occurred to me. That's weird. Yeah, well, in any case, we go to the opening credits. Uh, and I must say, what I liked about this cold open is you... They, they did, the show did a good job of sort of showing us how these two guys out here doing this thing are feeling, right? It's, you, you really got a feeling, at least I did, for a little bit of despair in the way they're conducting themselves and kind of like an I've had enough of this bullshit attitude, right? They're, they don't mm. want to be doing what they're doing. They're not enjoying it. It's a chore, not that living in the zombie apocalypse, you ever really want to be doing it, but you just feel like they're disheartened by everything. And I think yeah. that's what the show was, was going for. And they continue to show us things like that as, as we move forward through this episode. And, uh, actually thinking back, this is the first time this has occurred to me, uh, when seeing those three burned bodies in the burned out house and the burned up child, uh, they both have daughters. Yeah, right exactly. Now, right. That's, that's gotta be very upsetting for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I didn't, I was only considering my feelings, not theirs. Right. So, and their feelings are uh, more apt because, you know, that's a television show and it's portraying a dead child in their reality. In our reality, we can dismiss it as fake, but theirs, they can't. No. It, Poor bastard. It has to be real for them. That's right. Anyways, um, we're back after the credits. We see Father Gabe pick up a bullet from the ground and then he finds the skeletal remains of a horse and its rider still on the horse. It's like the horse and the rider fell off, died, and just just decayed into a skeleton. Shitty. Yeah. They come to some abandoned cars. They decide to search them for supplies. They find nothing. Uh, full of bullet holes. Cars full of bullet holes. Well, there was some kind of attack. That's true here. These cars were shot up, um, but uh, no supplies. They're looking for food. They, inf- they find some canned food with bullet holes in them, too. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. No good. They continue on their way, come to a convenience store. Aaron is bashing on the door. You know, some zombie arms stick out through the, through the boarded up door. Gabe chops them off. A zombie sticks its head through the door. Aaron kills it. Then they decide to pull the zombie through the door for some reason by its arms. But they end up falling down just holding its skin gloves. I, I'm going to call it where the skin on its arms and hands just pulls off and it's super gross. What were they expecting? I mean, they've been, this has been their reality for years. Were they expecting any different? No, I don't think. I thought the whole like torso of the zombie was going to tear off and it was going to come out, but they went for skin gloves instead. But there's no way they were going to pull that whole zombie's body through the upper half of a door with all the broken wood, like piercing its guts and everything. Like it didn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. They, they must be aware that zombies do not have any reasonable structural integrity. 
And then even if they did, even if it was a perfectly dead human, I don't know if that's a weird sentence to say, but if it was just a dead person, pulling them through that doorway also doesn't make any sense, right? No. Just just the physics are not there I, to be able to get that person out of that hole that way. No, Push I agree. them back in, you know, push, push. Yeah. And get them out of the way. Would have, made, would have made more sense, but we wouldn't have gotten zombie glove scene. Yeah. Oh, Disgusting. There you go. When they're on the ground, they notice a chair up uh, hanging off the roof. So Father Gabe climbs up. He finds the remains of some kind of little settlement. There are more bodies around. There's a zombie tied to a post. And another scene of two people on a mattress... I guess the first group wasn't on a mattress, but two people embracing, dead people embracing uh, on the ground. And uh, again, kind of tragic and heartbreaking. Yep. No child this time, though. Painted in big letters on the roof is the word save us. So these people, looks like they've been dead a long time, but they were desperate at some point. So Gabe enters the building through a trap door in the roof. Downstairs by the front door, Aaron is still there and he can hear Father Gabe chopping his way through the building. He comes out the front door and reports that there's nothing in there worth taking. So they're not having much luck finding any food. They didn't spend a lot of time looking. I mean, he went through the trap door, he chopped his way to the front door. It's like, take a minute, have a look around. I don't know. Maybe it was obvious that the place had been fully ransacked or the fact that there had been those people living there. They'd probably run out of food and were stuck on the roof. So that's a reasonable uh, thing that I hadn't considered. Not not too much uh, there for them. But then Aaron walks right towards a, a, an ATM. I mean, I'm sure that thing's full of money. You should have broken that open to get some cash. <laughs> sure. Why not? Just fill up your bags with useless, useless cash. <laughs> Good for... Uh, Starting a fire, maybe? That I suppose. Burn that well. Yeah, I don't know. I need a pinch, maybe. Yeah. Anyways, Father Gabe checks the map. He says there's one more place to check, but Aaron doesn't want to do this anymore. He says they've been out here for two weeks. Uh, he does mention that it's Maggie's map. So I guess Maggie provided this map to them of places she noticed in her travels uh, of things they should check out. Uh this is my theory. Uh, you know, if we go, that's, that's assuming that Maggie's on the up and up. If Maggie's now an, a bad guy well, uh, in this scenario, her map purposefully would be uh, items that were completely useless and not the real depots. Like later on, oh man, she, they're going to stumble across something that's not on Maggie's map uh, that is, you know, has some more significance. So maybe Maggie's drawing... Uh, you know, bogus maps for them. Boy, I got to keep in mind watching these episodes. I always got to keep in my mind, Maggie might be a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> instead Maggie, of just... Maggie's turned evil. Yeah. Instead of just straight up trusting her totally and everything everybody says about her, Maggie turned evil. So the map is nefarious. That's right. Wow. It just happens to be that uh, this map contains useless information. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sucks. Well, so far it has. They haven't found anything. Aaron wants to go back. Father Gabe says, no, we have one more to check out. Yep. So now we cut over to a scene where they're walking down a really muddy path in the forest. A, you know, it's like ankle or shin deep mud. 
And as Father Gabe's walking through, a zombie grabs his leg and he falls headfirst into the mud. Like, I really mean headfirst. He didn't even put his hands out. It's like his <laughs> face hit the mud before anything else. Aaron saves him from the zombie, which, of course, falls straight over on top of him. And Father Gabe is just covered in mud, head to toe. The map is destroyed because it got too much mud on it. Uh, and... I'm not going to lie, Jason, I found this to be one of the funniest scenes in 10 years of <laughs> The Walking Dead. And it's all because of the way he falls headfirst into the mud. And I've never seen a dude so completely and pretty uniformly covered in mud. It was pretty good. And then he get, gets up and gives Aaron a hug. Well, right? yeah. So it covers him in mud as well. So uh, it just, it's. It was funny. I did enjoy it. Uh, and it's the pinnacle of their despair, right? It's the, I've fallen in the mud. We've wrecked the map. All right, let's just follow our tracks back. And it starts pouring. Right, it's exactly. Just the sad end of a, you know, uh, a very depressing journey. Yeah. Gabe wants to, he still wants to continue though, right? He wants to go find this water tower, he said, that was on the map. But Aaron says, no, we got to go back and it starts raining. Like, I, I did think, luckily, it starts raining because he really needs a shower, <laughs> Father Gabe, yeah. at that moment. Um, But I loved it. I thought it was funny. I actually laughed out loud just watching him stand there with his, you know, bald head covered in mud. So funny. Um. And just really well done. It, I mean, in a in a depressing episode so far, it definitely lightened the mood a little bit, and I appreciated that. Yep. So they continue, but they come to this warehouse of some kind that, as you mentioned, they said wasn't on the map. Interesting. Yeah. And then I they go in, and their their flashlight batteries still work. So first of all, they've been on the road for two weeks, and. Uh, I'm amazed that they're batter they've carried enough spare batteries to have them still work or that whatever batteries they're using can be charged for that many years without faltering. So I just I'm floored that these flashlights still work. Well, you know, man, you're reading people's minds because Cindy in Columbus, Ohio wrote, Holy crap, did you see those flashlights Gabe and Aaron had? Please ask Jason how long batteries stay good. I'm sure he knows. <laughs> he knows just enough about a lot of things. Yeah. Not that long. <laughs> yeah. No, right? I, like I probably you. a long time, but not that long. You're right. Not that long. Even, even if stored in the fridge, people used to store batteries in the fridge, didn't they? Well, it depends on the battery, yeah. right? You buy a battery, uh, you know, a pack of batteries at the store and they'll last 10 years. Right. You can just leave them in the package and they have a best before date of 10 years in the future. So that's fantastic. Right. So my problem is that, you know, did they carry enough batteries with them in order to swap them out every couple of days? Because I assume that they use them at night. Right. They use their flashlights regularly. They're not just, uh, or maybe they, they, you know, they stocked them up and they, they haven't used them now until now when they're in a building that is dark. So it's, it, it's really hard to say, but uh, I just, I had a hard time with the batteries with those well, flashlights. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason you couldn't think that they had enough batteries with them to power flashlights on their two week trip. If you can get past the fact that not a lot of batteries would still work in this world in general, just because it's been 10 years. Right. So, yeah. um, if you can get past that, I think you're okay, but the batteries were a thing that came up and I noticed as well. 
they'd be more likely to have lanterns, right? Yeah. You know, they, they have, uh, they've been running Daryl's motorcycle off of ethanol. So I assume that they would have some kind of lantern that they could use. That's true. It's just harder to carry a big lantern around with you everywhere you go. But if you're going to yeah. take a stack of batteries, take a lantern instead, maybe. Could be. All right. So they enter this warehouse. The first thing they do is split up to search it. Dumb. Yeah, dumb. Gabe finds a stack of Bibles with some of the pages ripped out. Aaron hears something behind a door. So he approaches slowly. He tries to talk to whoever's in there. He introduces himself, says he's a friend. He goes into the room and we cut back to Father Gabe, but we hear Aaron screaming. So Gabe runs over to help and he finds Aaron in this room who has battled and killed a wild boar. And now it's Father Gabe's turn to laugh at Aaron because he starts laughing about his big scream and it was just a boar. Right. And at first Aaron's a bit taken aback, but he soon, I think, finds the humor in it as well. They decide to eat the boar and Father Gabe reveals that he found a nice bottle of whiskey. So good times are ahead. So as soon as he was rummaging around in the back of that filing cabinet, I knew he was going to find booze because that's where you find booze in an office, right? Yep. I assume you have a bottle of whiskey or something hidden in the back of a filing cabinet uh, at your office. I mean, what kind of guy would I be if I didn't? Yeah, it's the it's what you do when you have an office. Now, it's been 15 years since I've had an office with a drawer. Uh, usually I'm at client sites and they don't give you desks anymore. They put you at the, you know, fold up tables and crap in the yeah, corner. Or the conference uh, table, maybe. <laughs> or, or yeah, if you're lucky, you get a conference room. Sure. Uh, but you know, I, I don't have, and I don't have any cabinet drawers in my office at home. So, and not that I need to hide a bottle of booze at home. I can just put it on a shelf, right? And sure. Go, yeah. That's my bottle of booze. So as soon as I saw him rummaging around in that drawer, I'm like, oh yeah, booze. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. I think he was and then, looking for it specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, well, that's what you do. I guess you, you learn that trick is, uh, I'm in an office building. These desks have, uh, file drawers and what do madmen put in their file drawers? Booze. Whiskey. Whiskey. And, uh, I'm going to have to call bullshit on the cl- close quarters combat with a wild boar and Aaron wins. I don't think so. No, those, no boars, they have tusks and that's what they do is they fight you. Uh, no, I, I really, really don't think that, uh, maybe with a spear from a distance, if they were running at you and you had the spear firmly planted in the ground, like the back of the spear in the ground, you might be able to, or you probably could kill a boar cause that's how you hunt boars. But, uh, with, you know, that friggin' mace on his, uh, on his arm there or a knife. I don't think so. At least he'd be gored like his disemboweled by the time he killed that boar with a knife. Close quarter combat would not come out on top. He would not come out on top. Well, you know, I mean, he did have the mace. He probably had a knife. Maybe he just surprised the boar and got a lucky shot in before it, before it gored him. I don't know. Or maybe he just got lucky. Okay. So maybe, uh, okay. So if we assume that, uh, the Terminator was raising this boar for food, that it might be a wild boar, but maybe we can go ahead and assume it was a pet and that it was tame, even though it had tusks. I don't know what happened. I know that if you let a, 
pig go feral at gross tusks or something. It, I don't it's know. It's weird. Aaron but did, I don't know if... Uh, he acknowledged that it was vicious. So, I don't know. Maybe I think he was just saying boars are vicious. Yeah, maybe. This one was just like, hey, do you have any food there, guy? And then he bashed him in the head uh, and, you know, took him out that way. So I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that the uh, the boar was tame. Okay. Fair enough. It wasn't a food boar. It was a pet boar. Now, I know it's Robert Patrick that's in this show that we're going to see in a little while, but I go ahead and assume that any show or movie that I ever see him in, he's the Terminator. Safe assumption. Even in stuff that he was in before he was the Terminator, he was still the Terminator. Yep. Like Die Hard 2, when he was in that, that was before he was in Terminator or T2. Uh, but I still assume that he's the Terminator in that movie. I mean, they're all connected, right? So it's the Terminator traveling through cinema history. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a time traveler, right? So he can go wherever he wants. It doesn't matter. Like even when he was in the X-Files, it's still the Terminator. Of course. <laughs> I don't care what, you, what he's in or how old he looks, uh, he's, still, he's still the T-1000. All right. Well, we'll get to him in a second. Um, yeah. These guys have a dead boar now, so we cut to later. The boar is cooking. Aaron has found some toys of some kind he says he wants to bring back for the kids, which is nice of him. They sit down to eat. Gabe pours some whiskey and gives Aaron a masterclass in whiskey appreciation, I think. The sniffing, the tasting. And he says that this bottle is worth over $2,000. So really nice, expensive bottle of whiskey. Aaron appreciates... Yeah? Is, is that true? Where you, if you, like the, the, the taste of whiskey evolves as you drink it? Like, was this, was what he was saying about this whiskey true? I'm not a oh, yeah. whiskey aficionado at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're supposed to smell it. You're supposed to, um, appreciate the, the nose of it. You take it, you drink it. As he said, you hold it for a second and then, you know, get the, the taste as it goes down. Like that, that's how whiskey works. It's good stuff. Good, all good right. whiskey anyways, especially $2,000 whiskey. All right. Well, I... I'm going to have to take your word for it because every memory I have of whiskey, uh, I would probably rather stick my head in a bucket of vomit to give it a good whiff. Uh, I really don't like any kind of hard liquor. Never have. But, you know, maybe as I'm, uh, now that I'm aged, uh, I might be able to appreciate it a little bit, a little bit more, but should I go out and buy a $2,000 bottle of whiskey just to try it? Yeah, I think you should. And then okay. uh, I'll, I'll be over. You can pour me a little. You can leave it outside and then I'll come and pick it up and... Pour it on the sidewalk and see how upset you get. And well, let's not do it, that. Lick it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to suck it up. Now, they were cooking the boar on what was obviously a makeshift uh, indoor cooking barrel with a vent. And I had to assume when I saw that, that that was there before they got there. They didn't make this thing up. No, I think like it, it had, had to a, be a, there. A barrel with wood in it and a, a, a grate on top. And then above it was like a, an air vent and a, a chimney stack or a chimney tube to get the, uh, the, uh, the smoke out of there. Okay. Didn't that tip them off? Like that uh, somebody may be living here if this thing exists? In this warehouse? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's weird that there's all this stuff in there anyways, right? And it hasn't been completely uh, ransacked for supplies. You'd think maybe they would search, but I don't know. Maybe, can we assume, are we supposed to assume that they did a better search of the place? 
you know, and never found the upstairs, which we get to at the end. But yeah, it does feel like they should have known maybe that someone was around or potentially coming back, right? You know, maybe just out for a walk. I, I just think it's kind of willful blindness at this point. Like they willfully ignored some obvious signs like, why is there a boar in the closet? And what is this grill doing here? Mm-hmm. Uh, the bottle of booze is the least uh, <laughs> problematic thing in this whole situation because people do stash bottles of booze, maybe not $2,000 bottles of whiskey in the back bottom drawer of a filing cabinet. Like people stash alcohol all over the fucking place. Right. Right. Just for whatever situation. So that I believed, but everything else, I just, it started to go, why is there a cooking range there? Why is there a boar in the closet? Why, uh, that, that's probably it. Yeah. I mean, finding a card table and a couple of chairs, I didn't have a problem with. The thing is though, it all makes sense. It's just, you're saying that why didn't the, uh, why didn't the characters pick up on this? But at the same time, We've been shown how desperate they are, right? So maybe their judgment's clouded a little bit by being out for so long, for hating what they're doing, for just wanting to go home, for falling face first into mud and just being desperate. And they finally come across this place where something good happens. They're like, we have to make the most of this, you know, whether it makes sense or not. I think I might feel that way. Yeah. And then they had to gut a dead boar, right? That would. That, that, that's horrific in my book as well, right? That's, that's a traumatic experience well, I that wouldn't. I would never want to have. No, I wouldn't want to I do enjoy that. some pig, right? I do like various parts of various pigs mm-hmm. and I find them delicious, but I, I don't think I could bring myself to uh, clean a boar. Well, once again, it depends on the level of desperation that you are feeling, I think. I think that comes down, yeah. it comes down to that for most people. I yeah I think you might be right. I might carve out a hunk of pig and throw it on a barbecue if I was starving. I think I might probably do that. You You're and right. your friend or your family. There you go. All right. Well, these guys are drinking $2,000 whiskey. Aaron convinces Gabe to pour a little bit more. We cut to later. They're playing cards and the whiskey bottle is now half empty. So uh, <laughs> they decided not to make that last too long. And they were playing for bottle caps. They were, yeah. When was the last time you saw bottle cap um well i'm they're not that uncommon bottles still come with caps on them occasionally do they yes they do are you sure if you go out and buy like fancy soda you can get glass bottles with bottle caps really beer bottles still have caps on them regular caps you know mass market it's been a long time since i bought a bought a bottle of anything yeah had a bottle cap on it there's okay there's plenty i believe you there's plenty all right Uh, they're playing cards. They're drinking whiskey later again. They're now drunk. They're laying back in some old chairs. Um, Aaron asks what God would think of father Gabe drinking and gambling here. And then Gabe delivers this monologue about an old mentor of his Reverend George and how, you know, he spoke at the funeral for a boy they knew who died of cancer. Gabe was impressed by the ease with which his uh reverend george spoke at this funeral they go back to um they go back to the the wake and they get there and the reverend starts pouring booze and he talks about how he just spoke to everyone he put them all at ease and father gabe says he learned a lot from reverend george that you know you just have to be with people speak from the heart talk to people in their own terms and relate to them and if that means 
you know, pouring out some whiskey while you're doing it, then, then so be it. Um, and I think this whole speech really gets to Aaron and he says that Gabe needs to start preaching again, uh, because it feels like the right thing to do and they haven't done it for a long time, but Gabe doesn't seem interested in doing that. He doesn't want to preach because he says things aren't going back to the way that the way they are, aren't going back to the way they were. And this kind of reminded me, Jason, of, you know, uh, Carol and Daryl having that conversation about, you know, going back and how the world is catching up to them and the dead are catching up, stuff like that. Yep. And it's, uh, monks invented alcohol. So, you know, men of the cloth Mm -hmm. and, uh, people of the cloth drinking is fine. Yeah. They invented the whole thing. I, I think so. I, uh, I think of that every day when I, when I have a drink. Well, not to excess though, right? Like anything. It's everything in moderation. Of course. Good, good uh, advice there. Uh, anyways, Aaron disagrees and he starts talking about the whispers. He's saying, you know, they don't represent most people. Most people are not evil like that, but Father Gabe, different uh, opinion. He says evil people aren't the exception to the rule. They are the rule now. And if there's one thing I've learned from watching The Walking Dead, it sure kind of feels that way. It, <laughs> you know? it, it does. I mean, it, it, you have to have a sliding scale of evil, I think. Uh, self-serving, absolutely. Uh, hedonistic, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. But evil, not everybody's evil. I mean, <sighs> they're not evil. But too, well, I mean, we proved that. No. In yeah. this, this episode. Well, did we? Did, yeah, did we? Aaron's not evil. Let's just go with that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. 50% of the characters here are not evil. Well, if one person isn't evil, then not everybody is evil. Right? It's true. It's true. It proves it's like, that uh, the statement is incorrect. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to prove absolutes like that. Like crows, for example. Uh, what color are crows? Black. Yeah. Are you sure? They might be a or little bit. Or can you only say that every crow you've ever seen is black? I mean, I've seen crows that look a little bit blue in the right light, to be fair. Yeah, but uh, does that prove, like every crow you've ever seen, every crow I've ever seen, every crow anybody has ever seen is has been black. Does that prove that all crows are black? No, of course not. Yes, exactly. So Father Gabe's saying that all men are evil. You can't say that. Yeah. I mean, you can say most of the time, you can say that, uh, <laughs> on average, they have less than two arms a piece or two hands a piece. Uh, so can you say that, you know, people have two hands? No. Nope. <laughs> you can say that most people have two hands, but on average, human beings have less than two hands. Okay, well, I have two holy craps here back to back. First off, James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania says, holy crap, the whiskey moment between Aaron and Gabriel was fantastic. The father has always had darkness to him, and it was nice to see him talk a bit more about his past. It made me root for him more than I ever have on the show, which is great. Thank you, James. And then this one from Jennifer in Minneapolis. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jason. This is Jennifer in Minneapolis. And holy crap, did you see Ross Marquand play a completely convincing drunk? Like, if I didn't know better, I would think he was actually hammered. So, bravo, Ross Marquand. Bravo. Great acting um, from everyone in 
the show, even the uh, the twin brother. Um, I just thought the whole episode was amazing. It was one of my favorites of the whole entire series. So I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say. Thanks a lot. Thanks for everything you do. Awesome show. Love it so much. Bye. Thank you so much, Jennifer. She started with holy crap, delivered a little bit of feedback, but I'm going to allow it because that's what I can do. But yeah, sure. what did you think of Ross Marquand acting as a drunk person? I think he was pretty convincing too. Yeah, maybe he was drunk. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. he practiced, you know, uh, he, maybe he memorized his lines, got loaded, said them while recording them mm-hmm. and said, okay, that's how I act when I'm drunk. And away you go. I mean, you know, actors have a method, right? All actors have a method of, uh, of doing that. Maybe it's uh, uh, the way he was doing it. But yes, very, very good job. I thought so too. So later the guys are sleeping. Gabe suddenly, well, he's snoring and he startles Aaron awake. <laughs> and his, uh, his mace hand hits the ground and makes a big clang, which I thought was Clunk. sort of funny. Yeah. Aaron gets up, goes to take a leak. Father Gabe uh, quickly goes back to sleep. And then we get this quick shot of a light outside a window. And I thought we were going into a dream sequence of some kind, but Mm. we aren't. We suddenly hard cut to Father Gabe waking up and Aaron still isn't there. Mm. So where did he go? He looks around for him and instead is confronted by this shadowy figure, figure who kind of appears out of nowhere The figure asks him what they were cooking. Gabe says boar, and the figure steps into the light, and dun-da-da-da, it's the Terminator Robert Patrick. Yeah. So it took half the episode to introduce this character, uh, which I was a little bit surprised about, because I knew this is the one where he was guest starring, and I was continually thinking, boy, when's he going to show up? I mean... Before they got to the warehouse, I'm like, okay, they're still on the road. Are they going to encounter him on the road? Maybe he's in these shot out cars, you know, and then nothing and nothing and nothing. And then we're in the warehouse for quite a while already before he even shows up. I'm like, what's going on here? When is the Terminator coming? Finally, he appears. Yep. It it did take a while. And I, I like the way he showed up in, uh, you know, in, in shadow mm-hmm. and in, in under hood. So I thought it was really well done. Anybody standing with a hood on. And like a long flowing trench coat in a shadow like that looks cool. It's, you can't not look cool in that situation. Yes, you can. Really? I've, seen, I've, I've seen people not look cool in those situations. I don't want to name names, but uh, <laughs> I've seen people wear clothes that, where they wanted to look cool and really, really didn't. Didn't work? Oh. It did not work. All right. Well, fair enough. But Robert, but Robert Patrick. Patrick with proper, you know, professional lighting, <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. Yeah. So after a commercial break, Father Gabe and the man whose name is Maze, I'm just going to call him by his name from here on in, even though we don't know it yet. They're sitting at this table. Maze is eating and Gabe is trying to talk to him. Maze says that this is his place and they broke in. Um, and then he takes Aaron's arm out of a bag, not his, not his good arm, his metal arm. And he kind of throws it onto the floor implying that Aaron might be dead or in trouble or, you know, tied up somewhere. Unavailable. Unavailable at the moment. Yep. Now it's daylight again, right? So they did sleep the whole night before Robert Patrick showed up. Yes, they did. He let them sleep. Uh, Well, he needed some time to capture Aaron while he was peeing and tie him up in that room. Yeah, I just, I thought it took a long time 
Uh, so it kind of informs his character mm-hmm. on uh, on this situation, like uh, teasing them, toying with them, uh, you know, capturing them one at a time, uh, you know, playing with them. He's a sadistic bastard, right? Uh, yes, I think we figure that out pretty soon. Yeah, we and you know it, and it com- becomes reinforced later. But uh, I think it was, I, I at first I'm thinking day daylight, and he waited all night while these two drunk people were sleeping in order to confront them. Why wouldn't he just shoot them in their sleep? I mean, it could have been so easy, just bang bang, two dead guys, uh, and now we can eat his whole boar again. Or if that was, you know, not his pet. I assume it was his pet, and. He's, uh, it's much like Homer with uh, spider pig, uh, way <laughs> right. back in, uh, you know, both saying it's delicious and crying all at the same time. Right. I assume that that's what's going on inside Robert Patrick's or Maze's mind at this point. It must be. It must be. Yeah. I always think of spider pig as Harry Plopper. I think that's oh, a, Harry Plopper. That's right. That's yeah. a funnier name. Anyhow. Um, so Gabe, Father Gabe in this conversation, he tries to use the old, we're part of a larger group and they'll come looking for us routine, but that doesn't phase Maze at all. <laughs> no. And then he, uh, he pulls out a gun. I think it's an AK-47 from his lap, but I don't know my guns. Looked like it It looks me. like, it looks like an AK kind of shape to it, but yep. you know, they've been knocked off a bunch of times, so who knows? Of course. Well, he proves that it works by firing just past Father Gabe's head and kind of into the wall of a nearby room where apparently Aaron is being held. So, uh, we don't know at this point if he's now been shot through the wall. Um, Maze and Father Gabe talk about Gabe's collar. He says it's a reminder of the goodness in people. And he suggests that maybe Mays should read those Bibles or he, or sorry, he suggests that he probably feels the same way because he has all those Bibles, but Mays reveals that they, he uses them as toilet paper. So, uh, you know, not quite the same. Well, and that's the way things used to be. Not that they used Bibles, but they used, uh, you know, mail order catalogs had very thin paper. Like you get the Sears catalog. Remember those from way back in the day? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so People wanted those Sears catalogs because they were used as uh, toilet paper for a long time by a lot of people. And then it wasn't until like the 1918 or 1912 that uh, they first started advertising uh, toilet paper as splinter free. It's like, Jesus, am I ever glad that we don't live in the 1700s? Wait a minute. Are you telling me, okay, at what point were people using the catalogs as toilet paper specifically? 1800s. They were printing so, catalogs back then and people were getting them and wiping their asses with them? Yeah. They used to print catalogs all the time. Okay. And send them out. And that's how people got stuff. Like my mom has a a, a Sears catalog from 1936 or something. Um, and uh, the pa- pages are, you know, it's pulp. It's cheap pulp paper. Uh-huh. You could order anything. Like you could just flip through the thing. It's like, I want a piano or I want a goddamn plow or, uh, you know, a team of horses or a table or whatever you wanted out of this Sears catalog, you could just order and it would show up at your door. It's fantastic. I mean, how did you place the order? You like take a little card out of it, write down what you want and mail it to them? Yeah, it's mail order. Okay. You, you, you throw in your $12 and you put it in there and say, I would like a team of horses and send it off. And uh, six months later, a horse shows up at your house with a sticker on it, I guess, saying, hi, I'm your new horse named Harvey. Okay. Harvey the horse. I mean, I'm going to choose to believe you, but 
for some reason that sounds insane to me, but it, maybe it's just because I live in the age of the internet and I can have anything I want next day, pretty much. Yeah. Wow. We ordered, yeah, we ordered something on Amazon yesterday. It showed up today. That's great. That's how Fantastic. it works. Yeah. Those workers at the Amazon warehouses are, uh, you know, going through a horror show, but whatever. I get my crap right now. <laughs> you know, they don't, they have to run across those, uh, those warehouses at lightning speed and they do not have the time to take a pee break because, uh, it would screw with their productivity. And if their productivity dips below a certain rate, they get canned well, and they hire somebody else. This isn't good. This is not a good situation. This is not the working conditions that people should be made to work under. Yeah. No, we definitely need, uh, some reform there. Meanwhile, friggin' Bezos is, he has so much money, he doesn't know what to do with it. Like literally, like, I don't know, I'm going to buy a rocket. He can you do know, whatever he wants. Go he to can Mars. Buy anything he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway. That's a whole different shitty. problem. But I still order from Amazon. So yes, I'm part of the problem. I understand that. I okay. As long as you understand. Well, we're we talking about, we're talking about two guys sitting at a table talking oh, about yeah. being evil. Wiping their ass with the Bible. That's right. Uh, so that's what we find out the Bibles are for. Then um, Maze gets up. He goes into the room that he shot at. And he drags Aaron out of the room. He's tied to a chair, but he's alive. And then he frees his one complete arm so that he can, well, hold a gun as we find out. Wait, back to the toilet paper. <laughs> okay, not done with that yet. Well... Is that, is the fact that the Bible's being used as toilet paper in this episode because of the pandemic? Because toilet paper was such a thing a year ago that everybody was like freaking out and going, oh my God, I can't imagine a world without toilet paper. I better stock up. Uh, do you think that that was put in there because of that? It didn't occur to me. I suppose it could have been, but I think it was more important just the fact that Mays and is talking to a religious man, right? Uh, yeah. A reverend is Father Gabe a reverend? He's not a priest, but anyways. Um, Teacher he, of some kind. Yeah, right? And, you know, the Bibles are, you you think they're one thing or you think they mean one thing to, uh, to Maze, but they mean something very different. So, I don't know. Maybe it was a pandemic thing, but it didn't occur to well, me while watching it. I just, I think that the, in the back of the writer's minds, uh, they're thinking toilet paper is important to people. Mm -hmm. Right. So in the, in some kind of apocalypse, uh, toilet paper would be an important thing. If somebody found a, a reliable, decent source of something that they could use, they would stock up. Yeah. Uh, and here we are. This, this guy's hoarding all the Bibles. Well, let's be honest. I mean, it would run out pretty quickly in the apocalypse when none was more was being made. Now there's a not, there's a lot fewer people. So the stockpiles might last a while, but yeah, if you don't have access to it, you got to find something. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Luckily, I won't survive the apocalypse for very long. There you go. Oh, sorry, the zombie apocalypse. Right. The current one we're living in, you're doing all right. <laughs> the practice apocalypse? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now we have both guys sitting at the table and May's standing there with his AK-47. He also has a handgun, which he takes out. He loads with one bullet and he makes them take turns either pointing the gun at themselves or at the other person and pulling the trigger. So it's a back and forth Russian roulette kind of situation. Deer hunter situation. You've seen the deer hunter, yeah? I have not. 
This this was uh, this scene was made famous by the deer hunter. There was a very very powerful scene in that movie uh, where they were uh, prisoners of war mm-hmm. and they were forced to uh, to play Russian roulette like this. Okay, well I sorry haven't... I'm spoiling the deer hunter from 1970 whatever. Yeah yeah I haven't seen that but maybe I will someday. But that's exactly what's going on here. And so Gabe goes first. He points the gun at his own head, pulls the trigger. No shot. Now, this situation doesn't work with one person forcing them to do it because you've given them a bullet, right? Mm-hmm. You've given them a gun with a bullet in it. Uh, if there's only one person that is uh, having a, is forcing you to do this, uh, you know, Robert Patrick is holding the, uh, the Kalashnikov at rest, right? He's not pointing it at Father Gabe. Father Gabe has in his hand a handgun with a bullet in it somewhere within the few chambers. Uh, and he's looking back and forth between Aaron and Father Gabe. He's distracted. Uh, easily, you could have just pointed the, the pistol at Robert Patrick and pulled the trigger six times. Easily before he could have reacted. I have a question about that. Do you, yeah. after every trigger pull, do you have to recock the hammer of the gun before you can pull it again? Depends on the uh, the firearm. Older, older ones, yes. Uh, anything that has been made in the last 70 to 80 years, no. It's every time you pull the trigger, it recocks. Uh, it pulls the hammer back and fires. Okay, well, let's talk about that more in a second. What happens here is that Gabe goes first, no shot at his head. Aaron does the same thing, points at his own head, no shot. So they both survived the first round. Um they have, they talk a little bit more. Mays asks about Aaron's arm. He says it was crushed in an accident. He asks about Gabe's eye. He says it was an infection. And Father Gabe suggests that, you know, Mays wanted them, he's trying to prove that people are bad, but neither of their bad injuries were the result of some evil person. There was an infection or it was an accident, right? So it kind of doesn't prove his point. So now Gabe goes again He struggles, but he points it at his own head, pulls the trigger, no shot. So now we have had three trigger pulls of a possible six and no shot. So we know that the bullet is coming in the next three. If there's six, I mean, they're different revolvers have different number of shots. This was on the caliber of what you're sure. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. I'm pretty sure Mays even says six, six shots. Right. So, um, the odds are changing and the odds are much better now that the next one will be a bullet than they were before the first shot. Yes. Aaron picks up the gun and cocks it. So this is why I was asking before he appeared to have to do that because they made a point on the show to tell us that it made a different sound when the chamber was loaded. So now we know the bullet is loaded and going to fire the next time the trigger is pulled. It does not make a different sound and you do not have to, uh, if it was made in the last hundred years, uh, you know, early revolvers from the 1800s, you had to manually cock the, the trigger before you pull. Um, any modern revolver, you can cock the trigger, which uh, basically pulls the trigger back halfway and it's easier to fire, right? Okay. Whereas you can, you can still pull the trigger all the way back, even though the hammer is forward. That's why... Uh, the police for a long time used revolvers rather than semi-automatic uh, handguns mm-hmm. because um, when you can leave it loaded 
in your in your holster and pull it out and pull the trigger and it'll fire. Whereas uh, for a long time, um, semi-automatic pistols, you had to uh, cock it. Right, you had to pull the uh, pull the action back to cock it one time, and then you fire it, and the 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 process of firing it will recock it and pull the uh, the you know get it ready to fire again, so you can keep firing until the uh, uh, until the magazine was empty. Mm-hmm. But you had to cock it that one time, and that action took time, which is why police didn't have that until they made police issue um, or. They created handguns that had both the, uh, the semi-automatic cocking as well as a hammer that, uh, so you could just pull it out. It's called a double action. You pull a, you pull it out, you can pull the trigger and it'll fire the first time. Right. So revolvers, you don't have to cock the hammer back, but that first trigger pull or that trigger pull without the hammer back is very difficult compared to pulling the hammer back manually with your thumb. And then you can, you can just click the, uh, uh, the trigger and it's easier to, it's easier to fire at that point. Okay. But you're also saying that the sound thing is just made up. It is. Uh, I mean, cocking it, it doesn't make any difference whether or not, like the, the sound of the cocking hammer doesn't matter what's in the chamber. It could be empty. It could be full. It could be whatever's in there. It, it shouldn't make a different noise. Okay. So interesting decision then on the part of the show to explicitly reveal that to us, that we now know, even if it's a made up detail, we now know that the next shot is going to fire. And I started thinking to myself exactly what you were talking about a minute ago with, he's standing there. He can't look at both of them at the same time, right? He has his AK-47 at rest. Why doesn't Aaron, who's holding the gun at this point, wait until he looks over to Gabe to say something and shoot him? It, yeah. it, it felt to me like that's like, how can anything else happen in this scene at this point? I don't understand. We now know it's going to fire. He doesn't even have to worry about um, pulling the trigger multiple times. He's going to, he's going to shoot him, but yep. it doesn't happen. So in the deer hunter, there was multiple people around them, right? So yeah. one shot is not going to save your life. Whereas in this situation, one shot can save your life. It's going to save both now, their lives, really. Now, it's also important to know that when you're looking down the barrel of a revolver, you can see the uh, the out, uh, you can see the, uh, the, the, the round chamber, which holds all the bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see that around the barrel. And the one to the left of that, if the barrel's looking at you, is the uh, the position that will fire when they when they pull the trigger next. So you can see when there's a bar- barrel pointing at you whether or not it's loaded. Right. But you have to have the barrel. You have to be looking down the barrel at the time. You can't see that really see it from the back because there's a plate that protects you from the gunpowder ex- powder explosion. Uh, but from when you're looking down the barrel, you can, you can definitely see whether or not the next round is chambered. Right. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of interesting decisions made here show wise and a lot of, a lot of nitpicks. I think when you think about it a little bit of what's, what's going on here. So let's get through the rest of it here. Um, so we know what made a different sound. Aaron starts talking about their community are the type of people who protect each other like a family. He's trying to say we're good people. And then Mays gives them this story about his brother stealing his food and attacking him with a knife. Um, 
you know, at some point before, and he ended up having to kill him. And that's what sort of made him the, you know, believe that everyone was evil. And Gabe says that, you know, there isn't meaning in everything like that. It's just that his brother wasn't a good person. Some people aren't good people. Others are just fine. And that's what they're trying to uh, convince him of. And it's also the story of Cain and Abel, right? The first murder was... Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Cain and Abel. So, uh, you know, just got, you know, I had to murder my brother. Uh, and it's a weird twist on it because, uh, you know, I murdered, you know, uh, Maze murdered his brother because his brother was evil. Whereas with Cain and Abel, it was Cain that murdered his brother because Cain was evil. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of a weird twist on that. Which, it is. Uh, in the, you know, the, uh, you know, the game Vampire the Masquerade? I'm aware of the it. Ro- role-playing game and a mm-hmm. live-action role-playing game. Uh, the first vampire is Cain because uh, God said punishment for your crime of the first murder is that you will walk the earth forever. Right. So that in their mythos, Cain uh, is the first vampire, which I think is interesting. Very cool. And completely, you know, apropos of nothing. <laughs> but interesting. So as this scene sort of comes to a head, so to speak, Aaron puts the gun to his own head because he refuses to point it at the other person and murder him. As he screams, he's about to pull the trigger, but then May screams stop before he does it. And he doesn't shoot himself in the head, even though he knows he's about to. Um, so yeah, throughout all of this, basically Maze is trying to prove to everybody here that all people are evil. But the fact that Aaron and Gabe won't point the gun at each other and would sacrifice themselves over their friend, I think proves that some people are good and, uh, that they, they won't do the, the bad thing. So Aaron puts the gun down. He says, this is all true. This is the kind of people we are. Maze takes it. He puts the gun in his pants. He seems to be convinced. It seems like they've gotten through to him, right? They've changed his mind. He goes to cut Aaron free. And as he's crouching down to free his legs, he introduces himself as Maze. Finally, he says his name. And then out of nowhere, Father Gabe uses Aaron's metal arm, which isn't attached to smash his head in. And uh, he says, it's okay, we're good. And Aaron questions, are we? <laughs> and they decide to leave. So but, but we can't take him with us because he says, I can't, we can't take him with us. He murdered his brother's fam- whole family. Yeah, exactly. Even though we just convinced him that, you know, basically to let us go. So here's the thing, Jason, despite all of these little nitpicks with this scene, I thought overall it was pretty good. It was pretty well done. And there was definitely some tension in there. You know, if I, if I choose to not worry so much about knowing that the next bullet is coming and not worry so much about the fact that it seems like it would have been fairly easy to shoot Maze from one side while he's distracted with the other guy and all these little things and all the stuff you mentioned too, that I hadn't even thought of, I still thought everybody in this scene did an amazing job. There was definitely some tension and I was pretty engaged in it while I was watching it. I thought it was well executed. I think I came from it from a, uh, they ripped off the deer hunter, uh, point of view. I also was a little disappointed in, yeah. yeah. 
I was a little disappointed about that. And Deer Hunter, obviously, you know, being the Deer Hunter and very famous, and I believe even won an Oscar that year. I'm not overly sure of that point. But um, they obviously did it better than this. So I was I was a little disappointed in the uh, the obvious uh, ripoff. Well, fair enough. I mean, was it a ripoff or was it a tribute? It's not a tribute. No? Okay. <laughs> it's a fine line, but it, it feels to me like a, a ripoff. And TV shows been, have been doing this for a long time. Sure. Uh, the, the one that sticks out in my mind uh, the most, and I don't have a lot of details on this, but uh, the final episode of MASH, which was like the most watched television show in for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the... Uh, I remember hearing my mom complain about that sh- that uh, that episode because it ripped off a book or a movie or something where she knew what was happening and what was obvious. I don't necessarily want to ruin it, but um, my mom was very upset at the uh, the last episode of Mash, and it's been sticking in my head ever since uh, that they ripped off. I don't know whether it was a book or a movie or what have you, but they definitely obviously ripped off something uh, for that episode. And so this one now is added to those ranks in my mind. Okay. Which is disappointing. Yeah. Fair enough. I guess, uh, I, I don't have the history with the deer hunter there, so I didn't know that, but you know, overall, I don't think it was a perfect scene. There were some problems, but they did a pretty good job. And I do think that Robert Patrick overall was amazing in this episode. We're not done with the episode yet, but I do think he was amazing. And I do think both Aaron and Father Gabe were pretty amazing throughout it as well. So a a lot goes, I mean, good acting goes a long way for me, I think. I'm starting to realize. Because even though there were some problems and I questioned some of it, I was pretty engaged. And I thought it was cool. The point that we're trying to make in this scene, they hit the nail on the head. Right, because they, yeah. they, they talked about uh, Father Gabe saying all men are evil, like everybody's evil now. It's the norm. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's the way things are. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we have this test of goodness versus evil, right? And uh, our two intrepid heroes seem to have passed this test of good, good versus evil and have convinced the, the bad guy that they are in fact good. And now he can feel... Uh, okay about being good as well. And then our friggin' preacher kills him. Like just like out of nowhere, uh, batches him in the head instantly, uh, insta-killing him, which is a, another trope. But, uh, so I think that the point that they were trying to make about uh, good versus evil uh, is complex and surprising and well done. Yes, I would agree with all that. And I think that's another reason it, it worked well for me, I think. All right, well, just before we move on, I got a holy crap here from Jeremy. Hey, guys, it's Jeremy from Indy. I just wanted to say, holy crap, Gabriel just killed the T2. Oh, my gosh. That was awesome. I was not expecting that at all. I thought he was going to be a new character or something, and they were going to take him back. But nope, wham. (laughs) That was great. Anyway, I just wanted to say thanks, guys, for everything. I really enjoyed the last podcast uh, where you uh, sent out your thanks to us uh, for sending all the voicemails and everything. You guys are the best, and we just want you to know that we are here for you. All right, guys. Thanks. Enjoy what you do. Later. Thank you so much, Jeremy. And uh, yeah, 
Father Gabe killed T2. <laughs> yeah, he did. And, uh, well, thanks, Jeremy. And that uh, touches my heart, uh, what you say that you're there for us. That's uh, really nice to hear. Absolutely. Uh, when when Father Gabe killed, uh, killed the Terminator there, uh, Aaron got splattered with blood. So does that make him the flower that has been soiled? I think it does. Or the grasshopper. Or the grasshopper. Yeah. Or if we want to go back to um, Kung Fu. Remember the TV show Kung Fu? No. Ah, grasshopper. And so, so maybe he's the grasshopper now that needs to be taught a lesson in, uh, you know, the harsh reality and therefore he gets soiled with blood, just like the flowers and the grasshopper. All right. Well, I look forward to that lesson coming someday. So as our guys are leaving, they realize that Maze heard everything they had said the night before. So he must have been hiding nearby. They go up through a trap door into some ceiling area. They find a bunch of supplies and also a guy handcuffed to some pipes. Turns out this is Maze's brother, who's not actually dead, except his family <laughs> is long dead right there beside him. It's pretty terrible. They release him, saying, you can come with us. We're here to help. But he immediately grabs the gun and points it at him. Uh, but then he looks down at his dead family and decides to point the gun at his own head and kills himself. So I guess they didn't check the stairs. <laughs> so they searched the warehouse and uh, there was a set of stairs going up to a trap door and they're like, yeah, that's probably nothing and moved on. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't check that. Okay. Well, uh, listen, maybe it was like one of those attic doors where it was just a rope you pull and then the, it comes down and the stairs lower. Like maybe, maybe it was one of those and they didn't it notice like it. like metal stairs with an attached railing to me. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like maybe they didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were drunk. They didn't see it. Yeah. Willful ignorance is what the only explanation I can, uh, I can think of. So. It, this is, uh, Maze's brother was his twin brother. Yes. So it's, it was Robert Patrick. So I thought it was one of those, oh, they killed the bad guy, except that he's not dead now because he can still be part of their team. They can still go with them. Right. And be a character in the show. But then I guess that never happened either. Nope. So he took the, uh, the way out. So this makes Maze a severely sadistic fucker. Like he not only, uh, even if he didn't murder uh, his brother's family, he, when they died, he just left them there to rot in front of the brother that was chained up to the wall. Yep. Like, holy moly, that is one sadistic set of circumstances. Yeah, you chain a guy to a wall with his dead family next to them. He's clearly been there long enough to grow a gloriously huge beard, right? That doesn't happen overnight. So yep. he's been feeding him. He's been keeping him alive. The poor guy has like been shitting in that corner for months, probably like gross. And like, that is absolute torture. Maze is a bastard. Yeah. He did, uh, he did deserve to die. And this might've been the, the, uh, the get out of jail free card for father Gabe, right? It, uh, you know, bashing a guy in the head who has come around to the light is, uh, seems like a really evil thing to do, but in retrospect, uh, Maze was not somebody that they could let live based on, uh, if he could do this, he's not a nice man. <laughs> no, to say the least. Yeah. 
Well, so they, they have to, and in television, television and, and movies, if you need to uh, have your character that we're supposed to identify with do something that is overtly evil, they have to justify it. It has to have some kind of justification so that we can still feel good about uh, identifying with this character. Yeah. So th- they gave us that. They did. It was kind of the answer to Aaron's, are we, when he questioned, are, are we good? Well, yeah, yeah, you are, because look, look what happened. Yeah. All right. Well, Happy Jack in Victoria, BC says, holy crap, Robert Patrick got terminated. Then he self-terminated. <laughs> I think that's a Walking Dead first to have an actor die twice in the same episode as two different characters. Yep. Put it in the books. Fun times. So Father Gabe grabs a bit of food and they leave. They, on their way out, they pass some photos of Mays and his brother in happier times. And back outside in the long grass, they see that water tower that they were originally heading for in the distance. And after all this, instead of going home, they decide to check one more location. They start walking towards it and the end. Nice. And now they have a lantern. Oh, did they have a lantern? Well, when they went up in the stairs, there was a lantern in the uh, in the room that they picked up and started shining around. So now that they have uh, now they have a lantern. Well, good. Nice. I guess they they we just caught them at the tail end of their flashlight battery use, and now they have to use lanterns. So it all gets explained. I didn't see it hanging off their packs, but I assume that they would take the lantern with them. It would make some sense. That's right. Uh, and I would also assume that if they had enough batteries for their. Uh, uh, for their flashlights, that uh, their backpacks were some kind of bag of holding. It was like the Hermione bag. I just finished watching all the Harry Potter movies with the kids. We finished our marathon and, you know, Hermione yep. has the bag that always has what you need in there and it's much bigger on the inside. Yeah, yeah it's a bag of holding. So it's a, a, a dimensional bag. It's basically, you can fit more in there than, and the nice thing about a bag of holding, which I assume is the nice thing about Hermione's bag is that not only is it a big bag of, uh, you know, bigger on the inside, like the TARDIS where you can just dump a whole bunch of stuff. Can you imagine if you had a bag that was the size of, uh, a clutch, for example, or a small purse, and it had uh, a capacity of, uh, let's say a storeroom. Uh Uh, can you imagine trying to find something in there? Uh, it would be rather difficult, right? So luckily, Hermione's bag and the bags of holding have a magical property, whereas you put your hand in and you think about what you want, and that's what you pull out. It only makes sense. It would be totally useless if it didn't do that. I want that for my storeroom. You know, if I want something and I'm looking for something, you know how many boxes I have to dig through? <laughs> I, I don't care about the, the, uh, the extra dimensional storage space. I just want the organizational, uh, I reach my hand into the room, think about what I want and go, Hey, there's that book I haven't, uh, I've wanted to, to find for the last four years. Yeah. I think that'd be fantastic. Sounds very, very handy. All right. Well, that's this episode, Jason. Overall, it felt like two episodes to me. The first half where we have these two guys on the road, just looking for supplies and, you know, feeling all kinds of despair, wanting to just go back to their families. And then the second half was this encounter with Maze and the lesson everybody learned. Um, and I thought both of these episodes were actually pretty great. I, I, I enjoyed this one quite a bit, honestly. It was good. And I liked Robert Patrick in this. I, uh, I'll, I'll watch him in anything. Yeah. So good. He was so good. To be fair though, um, 
you know, Father Gabe and uh, Aaron, I thought were just as good. I thought they held their own with this veteran actor, you know. Um, so everybody did a really good job. They were the only three characters in it. And um, we had some comedy, too, <laughs> with Mr. Yeah. Mudface there. Well, well this is, uh, you know, my, my friend Scott. Uh, you know, he's a, a professional clown and, uh, he often says to me, all you need to do to make somebody laugh is fall down. Right. That's it. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. It's, uh, it's pretty true. I think. I, I think it is true. Does he use that in his act all the time? Falling down? Uh, not necessarily, but, uh, you know, when he rides his unicycle, he's very wobbly. And he's very <laughs> good at being wobbly and he's kind of a lanky guy. So him being wobbly on a unicycle is very unsettling, but he never falls. No, it's the, so. it's the threat. The fact that he might fall at any moment that gets you. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's like us now he's getting up there in years. So falling down is gets to be more and more dangerous as time goes on. Mm-hmm. You've probably learned this lesson over the last six months, a couple of times. A couple of times. I've had two falls in the last, yeah. uh, six or eight months. Yeah. So try so, not to fall yeah, down. Pratt falls are, uh. Not as funny as they used to be. No, certainly Depends not. on who's falling, I guess. Yeah, not funny when I do it. Yeah. All right. Well, pretty good episode. Uh, we would love to hear what you think, everybody. But before we tell you how to do that, in case you don't know, I just want to send out a quick thank you to a new patron who went to patreon.com slash the talking dead. And that is Nicholas P. Thank you so much, Nicholas, for becoming a patron of the show. If you would like to be like Nick or Nicholas, I don't know if he goes by Nick. I should probably go with the name he uh, submitted. Nicholas. Nicky. (laughs) Yeah, let's not do that. (laughs) If you would like to be like Nicholas, uh, visit patreon.com slash the talking dead, where you can make a small monthly pledge of just about any amount. It is uh, very, very helpful in putting on the show. If that is not your thing, then you can also hit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal to make a one-time contribution. And as always, we thank everyone so much for supporting us in that way. All right. If you would like to get in touch with us, we would love it too. You can visit the website, as I said, talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top to record a message that will get sent right into us. Love getting, you know, audio recordings because this is an audio show. If you want to visit us on Facebook, you can do that at facebook.com slash the talking dead, where I post all our episodes and occasionally news items. And you can also, of course, email talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Please send in some feedback. We will do a feedback podcast in a couple of nights on Thursday this week. So we'd love to hear what you thought of this episode, if you enjoyed it as much as we did. Or if you didn't enjoy it, that's cool too. Want to hear those opinions. And I'd love to hear what everyone thought of Robert Patrick or slash the Terminator in this episode too. Because I think he was great. All right. That is going to do it for this podcast, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.